This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The pressure is mounting throughout the world and certainly in the Middle East and thereby throughout the entire world. The Western world, all of the world, the pressure is mounting. But what does it mean and where does it lead? That's what we want to talk about here today on Viewpoint, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. This very day, I had a a very nice uh, lunch meeting with a pastor, and he asked me basically that very question. Where do you think all this is going with regard to Hamas's attack on Israel and Israel's response? Where do you think all this is going? And so I spent about 10 minutes with him and shared with him my thoughts concerning this. And I want to share some of those thoughts with you here today on Viewpoint. So I uh, hope that you're sitting down and uh, able to uh, respond. Uh, But hold your peace. Hold your peace until we've heard the rest of the story here on Viewpoint today. The rest of the story. Because I believe that Israel is soon going to be seduced. That's right. Israel is soon going to be seduced. You say seduced? Haven't they just been attacked? What do you mean seduced? Well, the attack is one thing. Yes, and it's serious. Yes, it has uh, merit from the standpoint of Israel realizing they have to defend themselves. But where will that lead? That's the issue before us here today on Viewpoint. You see... There are always connecting consequences to things that develop in our lives, in our world. Have you noticed that? All of our decisions, all of our thoughts, our viewpoints, our responses, or our lack thereof, even our responses to God or a lack thereof, have concomitant consequential responses. And that's what we're going to see, I believe, with regard to Israel. Israel is going to be seduced. And that before very long. How soon? I cannot tell you. We don't know. But I believe that the prophetic report is clear. And when it happens, the consequences are going to be beyond breathtaking. That's true. So, if God knew that that was going to happen, would you not think that since God says that I will not do anything but that I reveal my intentions first, with my servants, the prophets, wouldn't you think that God would have spoken on this issue? That God would have something to say about it? Well, he did and does. And that's what we want to look at here as we proceed further on the program today. Before we do, I want to make a statement to our listeners in Massachusetts and Connecticut and New York. We are very soon going to be coming to Massachusetts for a special breakfast with our listeners. We have done this many, many times. Last year, we were unable to proceed because of COVID, but we are proceeding this year, Lord willing, and uh, people are signing up. But if you want to be part of that breakfast, you are going to have to sign up very quickly because the deadline is the the end of this week. The deadline is the end of this week because we have to be able to prepare the uh, those that are providing the breakfast and uh, the room and so on. We have to be able to prepare them with accurate numbers. 
So, uh, you have been, many of you, hundreds of you have received emails. In fact, you've received at least two emails, maybe three. Plus, you have received a letter. Plus, you have heard uh, numerous reports, uh, ads on the various radio stations there where we air. And you have heard several uh, conversations here on this program concerning that breakfast. So, time is about to run out for you. And if you really want to be part of that, which I, I trust that you do, and you don't want to miss out because we're going to be talking about uh, not only the things we talk about here on the air, but many more things. Our books and materials are going to be all available there, spread out for you with special prices. Many other books and materials, not just my own, but many others are going to be there. My wife will be speaking as well. And you will have the warmth of fellowship of the various people who are listening to this program in that area. The listeners to our program in the Massachusetts, uh, New York, and Connecticut area are some of the longest-term listeners to this program. We've been on the air there over 20 years. In fact, about 22 or 23 years. And uh, so this is the reason why we uh, make it a point to uh, connect with you all up there, and I hope that you will make that uh, uh, decision quickly. So here's what you do. You go to their website, saveus.org, that's saveus.org, and uh, go to the uh, area that talks about our materials, the store, the web store. And then in the upper right-hand corner, you're going to find a little box or whatever that signifies the breakfast, where you sign up for the breakfast. Go there and do that right away. Just do it right away so you don't forget. And uh, I urge you also to seriously consider bringing a friend, uh, family members, and so on. Uh, some uh, parents have brought their children, their teenage children, even younger children, who have been fascinated by that particular time. It's been very edifying for their families. The price of the breakfast is $30, which, by the way, is as inexpensive as we could have possibly made it. We don't receive, we don't make any money on this. Uh, there are costs, not only for the food, but for the room and so on, and costs have escalated, as you know. So go to the website, saveus.org, and if uh, that does not seem convenient to you, give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or you can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255 and uh, uh, write your check out to Save America Ministries and indicate uh, how many breakfasts uh, that you want to cover. So make sure you do that right away, friends, because time is running short now. All right, let's move on now because we're going to be talking about how Israel is going to be soon seduced. In fact, what is happening is setting the stage for this seduction in a major measure. And as we indicated before the break, uh, if this is something significant in the mind and heart of God, then you know that he will have spoken concerning this in his word, and I believe he did. And if we were to go to a passage in Isaiah chapter 28, we will find these words. Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men, 
that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we in agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. But your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then you shall be trodden down by it. Now, therefore, ye, be ye not mockers, lest your bands be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts a consumption even to turn upon the whole earth. Give ear and hear my voice. Hearken and hear my speech. Have you heard it yet? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Stay tuned. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's morals slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. What normally follows war? What normally follows the agony of war and the persistent uh, destruction that war engages in and the destruction of human life? What normally follows war? Well, it's a peace agreement, isn't it? Some sort of an accord, some sort of a, a ceasefire and so on, some sort of a peace agreement. And did you know that the Pope has just called for a ceasefire in Israel's response to Hamas? Why? Because the Pope is basing it upon his feelings. He's not basing it upon truth. He's not basing it upon the Word of God. He's basing it upon his feelings. And he is a political liberal. Everything is about feelings. That's why he tends to embrace the homosexual population more than any other Pope. That's why he tends to embrace transgenderism more than any other pope. That's why he tends to embrace divorce more than any other pope. He tends to embrace everything that has to do with an assault on your feelings. Because feelings are the dividing line, the defining and dividing line for his thinking. So he's calling already for a form of peace called a ceasefire. But out of a ceasefire usually comes another call, and that is for some sort of a a conference, some sort of a gathering together to bring peace or pretend to bring peace, which is usually what happens. Not a real peace, but just a pretense of peace. And that is is what is going to happen. Now, the question is, is it going to happen as a result of this particular battle Or is this particular battle going to metastasize into a greater battle, such as with Iran or Iran and Syria or Hezbollah? uh, And and who knows what what other countries could uh, somehow uh, dig in their heels and decide to become involved. But the point is this, that it is moving inexorably in the direction that is going to propel Israel into 
a place where they're going to be literally seduced, pressured into entering into some sort of a peace agreement or a treaty that the Bible calls a covenant with death. So God says here, it's a divine call for the Creator to tune in, to listen up, to adjust your spiritual healing, healing to uh, maximize sensitivity. Like he says there in the book of Revelation, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're, we're to hearken, we're to hear, we're to respond, because we know, because of the warning, that great danger is lurking in our spiritual laziness that lulls us into complacency or a lilting spirit of passive rebellion. For that reason, the brother of Jesus, you'll remember, warned us all. He said, be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So this warning that God gives through the prophet uh, Isaiah is to be heard. In fact, the very first words of the prophecy are, wherefore, hear the word of the Lord. Now, who is it that he directs this to? Who is supposed to hear the word of the Lord? Well, actually, it's a provocative question, I think, for both Gentile Christians and physical Israel. So if an individual can be self-deceived by refusing to truly hear and hear the word of the Lord, how about whole, whole nations? What about historically Christian Europe or historically Christian founded America? Might Israel also succumb to the self-deception of refusal to hear and heed the word of the very Lord who declared Israel to be the apple of his eye? What consequences could we consider, be aware of, in the wake of conscious disregard of the word of the Lord? Well, I think that's exactly what Isaiah is speaking to. Looming consequences, even catastrophic consequences to Israel. So, he addresses Israel. He addresses the leaders of Israel. Hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that are ruling this people which is in Jerusalem. Scornful men. How are the leaders of Israel scornful? They're scornful in a number of different ways. First of all, they're scornful in that they have rejected Messiah. They rejected Yeshua as Messiah. In fact, they scorned him. They mocked him. The leaders of Israel, the Sanhedrin, mocked Jesus. They mocked him when they held the trial at uh, the home of the high priest. They mocked him when he was on the cross said, come down, if you're the Savior of Israel, come down from that cross and prove it. They mocked him. They were scornful men. And the same breed of scornful men is ruling Israel today. Yeshua died, rose again. They refused to recognize that and even suborned perjury of the guards not to tell the truth. You see, they had cancel culture then. They suborned perjury of the guards not to tell the truth about what really happened, that the angels showed up, there was a great earthquake, and the stone was rolled away, and Jesus was resurrected. 
They wanted to claim the disciples came and stole his body. So they were scornful, and not only were they scornful, but they actually suborned perjury in order to try to project their scorn. Now, in Israel today, let's be honest about it, and by the way, in saying these things, I am not coming against Israel's response to Hamas in the slightest. Israel deserves to defend itself. She has the right to defend herself. Hamas attacked wickedly and deceptively and with intent to bludgeon people almost to the point of unrecognizability. That's what happened. They were inhumane, and they acted in what many have called a barbaric fashion and still do. That's who they are. They do what they think in their hearts. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, and so he does. Hamas does what it thinks in its heart. No question about it. So, Israel now has a problem. Israel now is being increasingly, shall we say, restrained behind the scenes by those who are saying, okay, we we agree that you have the right to defend yourself, but now you have to defend yourself proportionally. In other words, don't keep going into this. Don't go in and do a, a special invasion on the ground and, and destroy everything there. No, you better stop now because you might lose our favor. That's what's happening. It's happening in this country. It's happening in Europe. It's happening all over the world. And you're going to hear it more and more. That's the trend. That's the tendency. So let's look further then at the condition of Israel today. The condition of Israel today, spiritually and morally, is not good. Some might say, well, you know, there are a lot of people who have embraced Jesus as Messiah in Israel. It depends on how you define a lot of people. The record shows that somewhere between twelve and 15,000 uh, Jewish people in Israel have uh, become Messianic Jews. In other words, embraced Jesus as Messiah. Well, how many Jews are there in Israel? About 7.5 million. So the percentage, uh, 12 to 15,000 Jews as compared with 7.5 million is a microscopic number of Jewish people that have embraced Jesus as Messiah. In addition to that, the Orthodox Jews have raised up a hue and cry to continually prevent any from, from, from talking publicly about Jesus as Messiah. They call it proselytizing, and that's now against the law. In other words, you have the freedom to worship inside your church but or inside your home, but you don't have the freedom to let to tell anybody else about Jesus. That is against the law. Are you beginning to get the picture? In addition to that, somewhere between 25 and 30 percent of the Jewish people in Israel are what you call Orthodox Jews. In other words, they're the true believers. They're the ones that embrace the Torah big time and uh, want to try to take God at his word, at least as far as they will take him at his word, like American Christians. 
And then you have the Hasidic Jews, which are the ultra-Orthodox, and combining the Orthodox and the ultra-Orthodox, you have somewhere around 25 to 30%. The rest of Israel are secular. Even those that profess to be Reformed Jews are secular. Their religion is just a form. It has almost nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with the Torah, nothing to do its form to make the Jewish people feel religious, much like the so-called Christians in America, mainline Christians and so on. So you have a situation in which there is a relatively small group of so-called, shall we say, we'll call them, evangelical Jews, in other words, that are God-fearing, Orthodox, or Hasidic. The rest of them are some degree of secular or rabidly secular. Many of them came from Russia that had 70 years of godlessness, such as one of their representatives is Lieberman, who is one of the loudest voices in the Knesset. So these are scornful men that rule the people in Israel, in Jerusalem. And what has happened is that over the years now, they have become very prideful. What does the Bible say about pride? It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, pride leads people away from trusting God and trusting themselves. Now they trust themselves, and they trust their great expertise in war and in armaments and so on. So Israel has a profound trust in its own defensibility against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Israel is seriously divided internally right now, just like the United States almost 50-50. It's very serious. So at this moment of vulnerability, when Israel is profoundly divided, and they were resting on a Sabbath day, which was the highest day of joy in the Hebrew calendar, the final day of the Feast of Tabernacles, they were attacked without notice. And they were unprepared. What caused them to be unprepared? Why is it that within Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu has lost about 50% of his favorability almost instantly? Because the people believe that the leaders of Israel were unprepared and did not do their jobs adequately and left Israel vulnerable. Are they scornful men? Well, to a certain extent, they are because they're walking in pride and not in humility. Because God resists the proud, you see, but gives grace, enabling power, to the humble. Israel has found itself in a position of monumental pride. And that has led them to being unprepared and to rest on their, shall we say, their military laurels instead of on God. Now, what do you do as Israel, tiny little Israel, seven and a half million people in Israel, 
with a small little nation that's been carved out by the United Nations for the Jewish people, and the whole world begins to turn on them, which is going to happen. Right now, the world is relatively favorable to Israel's right to defend itself against Hamas. And that is amazing in and of itself. But it's going to turn, and it's going to turn rapidly. And when that turn happens, whether there's further attack or not, ultimately there is going to be increasing pressure upon Israel to enter into some kind of a settlement, peace, agreement. And when that happens, Israel is going to meet one of the greatest tests that it ever had. Will we agree or will we trust God? We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. The Antichrist is peering around the corner of history, friends. He's peering around the corner of history, just waiting for the propitious moment to begin his entry. Now, I want to throw, throw something out to you here, a question, and that is, if Israel is subject to being profoundly tested about its trust in the Lord at such a existential moment where their very existence feels that it's on the line. What will happen to Gentile Christians when the mark of the beast comes lurking around? Will you make peace with the beast by receiving his mark and his promise for peace and provision for all your needs, or will you trust God? Didn't expect that coming, did you? But that's exactly what's happening. Because as it is with Israel, so it's going to be with the rest of the world. Including professing Christians that think they're going to be out of here. The Bible, the Apostle Paul, specifically tells us in uh, 2 Thessalonians that just before the Antichrist is revealed... There is going to be a massive falling away of professing Christians. Why are they going to massively fall away? Because, well, Jesus talked about it. He said, because iniquity is going to grow so great. The love of many is going to grow very weak. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. 
In other words, those who remain faithful, who trust the Lord, no matter what comes, no matter what luring, no matter what seduction, no matter what pressure comes, they're going to remain faithful and endure to the end. Moms, dads, grandparents, they're going to stand and having done all to stand, stand, no matter what the onslaught is. So how about Israel? Called the children of Israel. What about them? What will they do? They're going to capitulate. They are going to capitulate just like the majority of Western Christians are going to capitulate. They're not going to trust God. They're going to make a covenant with death, in effect, just as Israel, the Bible says, God says, you have made a covenant with death and with hell, are you in agreement? When the overflowing scourge is going to pass through, in other words, the great time of testing, you say it won't come unto us, for we've made lies our refuge. In other words, we've trusted in ourselves. We've trusted in our armaments. We've trusted in our, our great wisdom and technological skill. And we've hid ourselves under falsehood, said God, that you're going to make a covenant with death. What kind of a covenant is that? Well, it would seem that Israel is going to enter into some sort of a peace agreement or treaty that God calls a covenant with death. In other words, they're going to cast away the last vestiges of their trust in God who made and preserved them a nation and a people, just like in America, going to cast that away, that final trust, and they're going to put their trust in the promises of a man and men. God calls it a covenant with death because... It's going to resort, not in peace, but the greatest horrific attack upon Israel that Israel has ever, ever dreamed of seeing. Which will make this attack by Hamas look like a Sunday school picnic. I'm sorry to have to tell it to you like this, but that's what's going to happen. Can I tell you exactly when it's going to happen? No. I'm telling you about the trajectory of prophecy in history. Now, God says he's going to disannul the covenant. What does he mean by that? He says your covenant with hell is not going to stand, but you're going to be trodden down by it. So give here, give ear and hear my voice, hearken and hear my speech, says the Lord. What is God saying? He's saying, look, when you enter into this covenant, this covenant with death, to trust in the sword of man, in horses and chariots, in man and his promises rather than my promises, you're going to end up with catastrophic consequences. But I'm going to cut it short. Now, if you read the prophet of Zechariah, prophecy of Zechariah, you find out that two-thirds of all Jewish people on the planet are going to lose their lives in this covenant with death. It would appear that that's what it's talking about. They're going to lose their lives in this end-time configuration. However, one-third is going to come through 
as coming through the fire of testing. That is the remnant that is going to come through because God disannuls the ultimate consequences to utterly and totally destroy Israel through this covenant. Are you listening? As it is with Israel, so it will be with professing Christians. There's going to be an open attack on professing Christians, much more than we've ever seen. As I'm writing this book today, even today, uh, when persecution comes, I'm realizing with every single day that passes how quickly this is moving. For instance, just uh, a month ago, the uh, World Religions, Parliament of Religions gathered in Chicago. What was the spirit of that World Parliament of Religions? Against, in an increasing virological, if that's a word, uh, no, uh, we'll put it extreme dislike, hatred, rejection of professing evangelical Christians. That was the spirit. That's the world parliament of religions. Those are the religious people. Just think what it's like in the irreligious. You see, Christianity and true followers of Christ are the odd man out, in the same way that the Jews are the odd man out in their eyes. Are you beginning to get the bigger picture? I hope. But God is going to bring a remnant of both Jew and Gentile out of the fire. Out of the massive persecution. Out of this uh, tremendous overflowing scourge that is coming upon both Israel and the world. And he's going to fulfill his promise to both Jew and Gentile through a remnant That should cause every single one of us to ask the question rhetorically, am I going to be part of that remnant? And you can't say that you are today because it remains to be seen what you will do when you're faced with a seduction away from truth and from truly trusting God. That, my friends, is why we do what we do here on this program, to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour to build strong faith, to help people to understand. It's not just a history lesson. It's about understanding God and his purposes and how he is working and how he disclosed his intentions for our benefit unto whom the ends of the world are come. So, as the Apostle Paul said, take heed that what happened to Israel back then doesn't happen to you today. Are we making sense yet? Now we're going to have to continue to uh, apply this as we move forward in the balance of the program today. But before we do, I want to make available to you my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. And chapter 19 of that book is called The Covenant with Death. Its very hope-filled promise will lay the foundation for the world's greatest horror as Satan's imposter works deceitfully to destroy. 
The book is worth the price just for that chapter alone. It's a $22 book. Yours for $18 on our website today. Go to the website, saveus.org. Get your copy. It is, uh, I, I tell you, it's going to open your eyes and touch your heart. It really is. It's going to provoke. It's going to provide. It's going to give hope. It's going to provide direction. It's going to be an eye-opening, heart-opening experience. And set the stage for life for you. $22 book, yours for $18 on our website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us, Save America Ministries. Go to the website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Antichrist, how to identify the coming imposter. And again, for those of you who are in Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York, remember, the deadline for signing up for our breakfast, it's on November 4th, Saturday morning, November 4th, from 8 in the morning to 11.30, is this Friday. So let's act. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Go to the website, saveus.org. Go to the uh, web store, and then in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see a spot which says uh, breakfast sign-up. You hit that, and you'll be able to sign up for the breakfast for yourself, your husband, wife, your children, your friends, relatives, and so on. I hope you'll take advantage of this opportunity. It's a tremendous opportunity. People see it that way. And those that they bring are never disappointed. Also, I might indicate that the uh, uh, owner of the radio stations that we air on in Massachusetts, all three stations, and and in Connecticut, is going to be there as well. You get the chance to meet him. Bill Blunt as well. All right, we'll be right back after this. Why will Israel be seduced? Well, we'll lay all that out in true color when we get back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Are we living in the end times? Are we living in the times immediately uh, preparing to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ? A dear friend of mine that I've known now for 30 years, who has worked uh, with me in a variety of different ways, providing music and so on, penned a song that I think 
might be worth our listening to as we launch into the final segment here today. Harold Wheeler gave us this song. is coming near the second coming i hope you appreciated that and enjoyed it if you'd like a copy of that cd uh, you can actually uh, give us a call and uh, or go on our website and indicate that you want a copy of that cd or gift of ten dollars or more to save america ministries will put it in your hands all right let us now take a look at why israel be seduced You know, this much-celebrated covenant promising long-sought peace is going to be presented to Israel and the Arab and Muslim world and the community of nations purporting to offer peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Jesus was called the Prince of Peace, and so the Antichrist himself will see himself and portray himself as the Prince of Peace. The promised hope for temporal and global salvation purporting to solve the historic tensions that have gripped the earth in rising terror since the birth of Ishmael and Isaac. It's like, if it were the 
last best hope of Earth, a new final solution to an otherwise seemingly intractable, unsolvable dilemma, placing humanity on a collision course for global catastrophe. So, its very hope-filled promise will lay the foundation for the world's greatest horror, as Satan's imposter works deceitfully to fulfill the deceiver's modus operandi to steal, to kill, and destroy, thus corrupting Christ's call as the good shepherd who would save and give his life for his sheep. So Israel will be seduced. The looming question is why? Why might the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob be seduced by the imposter's promise of peace? by means of a false covenant, a covenant with death. Well, here it is. Global powers perceive the mounting pressure for some peaceful relief to be reaching an intensity so as to compel a courageous reevaluation of all efforts so as to conceive a grand alternative solution that both Israel and the world naysayers, whether they be Arab or Muslim, the United Nations, would embrace. So, here, let's soberly consider what some of these reasons might be. First, since Israel historically and presently failed to recognize Yeshua as their promised Messiah and continues to vociferously reject him, yet has rising messianic expectations, the Jewish people are primed to receive somebody who seems to match enough of their preconceived notions of what such a Messiah should be as to be seduced by a counterfeit. Next, Israel, since the days of the judges, has persistently yearned to be led by kings and political leaders like all other nations. And they're now poised to embrace the ultimate such leader, promising them the peace that they rejected in the form of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. So they redefine Messiah in their own image blasphemously transferring their trust from Father God through Christ to his satanic counterfeit, a charismatic, non-divine deliverer. Next, Israel has continuously yearned to be reckoned among the nations as one of the many. Recognized as a member of the United Nations, she wanted to be included in the European Union and Mediterranean Union. But the Bible says she would not be recognized among the nations. Numbers chapter 23, verse 9. So Israel, like professing Gentile Christians, has to decisively decide to whom they truly belong and whom they truly trust. And destiny is going to be determined by their respective decisions, just like yours. The pain of rejection, both for individuals and nations, is powerful. National identity is the collective perception of a country's people, and persistent rejection of the nations can be a powerful propellant, driving the nation's leaders to enter unwise, even disastrous agreements and alliances. That's Israel's dilemma. The line of promised peace in the face of decades of multiple wars and rumors of wars, intifada, and existential threats draws Israel like an intensely powerful magnet into what appears to be an existential moment of fulfilled hope. Perhaps, at last, they think, this is the messianic moment we have painfully awaited for millennium. And even their resurrected Sanhedrin and Prime Minister will embrace it. They will think, we, we must seize this moment of opportunity. 
they think. We, we dare not let this unique confluence of events pass. Despite the problems we can see looming in the distance, surely this must be the long-awaited Messiah for which we have yearned to deliver us from the earthly rejection and multiple trials, and their faith will fail. In the crucible moment of that haunting fear, the covenant with death seems to be the promise for renewed national life and will be embraced, resulting in devastating lament. Devastating lament. Do you know what the word, how the word pressure is translated in the Greek? The word pressure, translated in our Bibles, certainly in the King James Version of the Bible, is tribulation. So how does increasing pressure, tribulation, lead us to rationalize and compromise so as to justify that which we otherwise know or respect to be untrue or unrighteous? How does fear erode and undermine our faith? And when God, as Israel's husband, annuls her covenant with death, does it nullify or remove the consequences? The answer is no. In fact, God says Israel will be judged double for all her sin. So if Jewish people could be so seduced and deceived, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, heirs according to the promise, might Gentile Christians also succumb? So if Israel would be seduced to embrace the peace proposal of a counterfeit Messiah, why wouldn't Gentile professing Christians be seduced to embrace the mark of the beast to enable them to, well, make peace with the beast government that comes upon the earth, coming against true followers of Jesus Christ in the final and greatest persecution of all time, when Jesus himself said that parents would rise against their children, children against their parents, fathers against their kids, and so on, brothers against brothers, if that would happen within families and even within a professing Christian community, why, friends, would Jesus warn of such a thing if it weren't going to take place? Can you understand now why yours truly is seeking God's leadership and inspiration as I write this book? When persecution comes, it's not. this book is not coming any too soon, friends. My wife says maybe it's too late. No, it's coming right on time. It'll come out next year, Lord willing, the creek don't rise, as they say. And uh, I'll be letting you know when that is. For now, I'm getting ready to complete the heart of that chapter, of that book. God's prescription for victory amid persecution. God's prescription for victory. There is a prescription for victory. The question is whether we will embrace it, whether you will embrace it. The question for Israel has always been whether they would embrace God's prescription for their victory. But till now, they've refused. And they will continue to refuse. 
and will be judged double for their rejections because to whom much is given, much more is required. The same will be true of Christian pastors who refuse to prepare their people for the times that are coming, just like Israel's leaders. They become somewhat scoffful people, business as usual, continuing on playing the game, pretending to trust God, but not so much, and leading their people down the primrose path until the true test of time hits them. And then they'll cry out, why, pastor, didn't you prepare me? Why, you broadcasters, why, you book authors, why didn't you prepare me? Why didn't you tell me the truth? Why did you not talk about those things that are in the Word of God? That Jesus talked about. Paul, Peter, John, James, they all talked about it. Why didn't you? You see, that time is coming. God called such leaders scornful men. Where's the promise of his coming? We don't want to talk about that. No, we don't want to talk about that. As one pastor told me years ago, we don't talk about anything like that because we want people to love Jesus. We don't want them to be afraid. Well, they will be afraid. They're going to be terrified because they don't really love Jesus. They've been addicted to serving their feelings rather than to walk by faith. Does this make sense? Maybe there's the tickle of the Holy Spirit, convicting tickle of the Holy Spirit in your heart, saying, you know what? I want to make sure that I'm not playing this game. Like Israel, like the majority of the professing church today, I want to be ready. You can be. You seek the Lord with a whole heart. He said, I will be found of you. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner. Send your gifts, friends, by faith to Save America Ministries. Do it today. Don't delay. Remember, the other guy's not doing it. Help us to continue to keep the message coming until Jesus comes. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.